following audio is from St Nick's Durham. As a church, we exist to love God, love people and love Durham. We hope that this sermon will serve you well as a supplement to your regular Bible reading, prayer and participation in your local church. For more information about St Nick's Durham, directions or resources, please visit stnicks.org.uk. So our reading is Galatians 5, verses 1 to 15. It's found on page 1171. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourself be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is required to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace, for through the Spirit we eagerly awake by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ, neither circumcision or uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. You were running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? What kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you? A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion, whoever that may be, will have to pay. The penalty. Brothers and sisters, if I am preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offence of the cross has been abolished. As for those agitators, I wish they would go their whole way and emasculate themselves. You, my brothers, were called to be free, but you do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh, rather serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilling in keeping this one commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, live by the Spirit. Thank you. Thank you, Faye. I'm now going to invite Tim, Tim Biddlecombe, to come up. And for those of you who don't know Tim, Tim is a member of our congregation and Tim also leads our recovery group here at St. Nick's. And um, rather than having a sermon around freedom in Christ, Tim is going to share something about his own personal story and that freedom in Christ as he's experienced it and lived it. So thank you, Tim. Oh, let me pray for you. (laughs) Lord, we thank you for Faye and for Tim. We thank you for the way that you have worked in Tim's life and are working in his life. We thank you for the person that he is, for the gifts that you have given him. Lord, we thank you for the journey that he has been on with you and for some amazing experiences of your love and your mercy. Lord, we thank you for his courage and willingness tonight to come here and share some of that story with us. Lord, we pray that you would be with him, that you would bless his words and bless us as we receive those words. Amen. Amen. Well, I was told by my wife, 
don't mumble, don't go on too long, and don't lean on the lectern. So uh, I'm going to lean on the lectern, and, and it'll go on as long as it goes on, I guess. So There you go, right. My dad's a vicar, and I remember when I was a child, um, he'd done a sermon on God's forgiveness, and uh, we'd have Sunday lunch, and I'd sort of rip his sermon apart for different things and whatever. And I said to him one day, I said, so all this forgiveness stuff, uh, I was about six, I said, can I be forgiven for anything? And he goes, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, you can be forgiven for anything. So I said, so can I have a life up to, say, 60, where I can do anything I want, and then ask God for forgiveness? He goes, well, it doesn't work like that. I said, well, why not? He said, well, because you might not make it to 60. You don't know when you're going to die or anything happens to you. And he said, not I hope anything will happen to you, but you just can't do deals like that with God. It doesn't happen. It doesn't work. And I was like, all right, okay. So anyway, that aside, I then became probably uh, one of the worst um, prodigal sons you'd ever met. Uh, I think if if I'd put this in a book or something, they'd think I'd made it up. Um, But um, I went, uh, I had a lovely, loving family. Um, The vicarage we lived in was lovely. I had a really good upbringing and everything else, but um, it was a bit... A bit tethered, so to speak, as uh, a lot of vicar's sons, as you may have encountered, will know a bit, of t- you know, sort of a bit of a tearaway. And uh, as soon as I left home, that was it. You know, I was going to see what was on the other side. I was going to, f- you know, see the, where the grass was greener. I was going to try everything. And uh, sort of moved away, um, went to college, and um, it was great. That was it. Started drinking, started partying, started doing everything in verse 16, almost, but not quite. Uh, I was going to get Faye to actually read up to verse uh, 20, but I thought about not. It goes a bit too far. So uh, anyway, that aside, um, (laughs) so basically I'd moved away and uh, I'd got the first job and everything else. And uh, I always tried to be a perfectionist at everything. And I just wanted to be the best at something. And I pursued that sort of aim all my life. You know, I had to be the best at everything. Tried athletics wasn't you know it wasn't considered to be good enough my coach said to me the wrong color and your legs are too short so so then went on to weightlifting and then went on to something else and everything was about achieving and I just got to a stage where um, I just felt you know sort of oh where can I go next and I got really despondent and I sort of called out to God and said I want to I want you to show me that you're real and um, again somebody said to me if this had happened to me I'd tell everybody and I haven't told this to many people but there's a hill near where I live in um, sort of Shropshire border. It's called Clee Hill. And uh, I decided I'd drive up there in a minivan and I said, I want to see, I want God, I want you to prove that you're real. And uh, I went, it was snowing up there and my mini only just got up there. And I followed these footsteps in the snow um, and it went around this sort of rock formation and whatever. And it got to a point where the steps ended. And uh, I was looking for slippage, somebody falling off the rock or whatever. There was nothing, no, no, no return footprints. And then written, scratched on this rock was trust in Jesus. And I thought this is all just a bit too, you know, like sort of, you know, this, this isn't real, this is, this is a fake, this is just not happening sort of thing. So I walked back to the car just thinking, how much did I have last night and everything else? But anyway, got in the car, went to church and, uh, and I thought, no, I'll go to the evening service instead. Well, the preacher of the evening service was, uh, was the minister's son, and he'd been brought in to sort of fill in the space, as it were. 
And uh, he said, I was driving over here. I didn't know what to, didn't want, know what to, um, what to, what to preach, what to, what to say. And then I just, it just came to me that I should preach on um, those who went to the mountain to find God. And and I was just like, this is just getting a bit surreal here. Um, and that was the sermon, and he was sort of saying about it. And I just sort of got up, that was me, that was me, <laughs> that sort of thing. So that was the first encounter I had, which was an answered prayer. And it was quite bizarre, but it was just all the circumstances had happened to sort of lead me to truth, in a sense. The, the, the questions I demanded to be answered. Um, the next uh, sort of thing happened to move to London, and... Um, the party life in London, you know, sort of you have a nice meal with cocaine in the middle of it and stuff like that and lots of drink and et cetera, et cetera. And it's just party, 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 work hard, make loads of money um, and um, just live the life as it were. Again, it was the whole aspect of my life was about achieving, about getting somewhere, about having, you know, getting this, that and the other. The wheels fell off. A number of events which helped the, the wheels f- fall off during my life was uh, I had a HIV scare which I was convinced I had HIV, uh, and I didn't. It, uh, but it took about a year of me believing the fact I didn't. Then I had a VAT investigation, which lasted 16 months, which only proved out I, I owed about 20 quid or something to the VAT. But again, that was another year of just complete and utter drinking and, and, and wheels falling off. And then my mum died of cancer of the esophagus, and... Uh, that was pretty traumatic, and that's, I suppose, was when drinking started to first escalate. And I remember being with my mum's death side, and um, I fell asleep just on the last minutes of her dying, and uh, I couldn't figure myself for that. But as I later got counselling, and the counsellor said that it was all you could cope with at the time. I blamed God a lot for that. I wasn't happy. She was a Christian. She was God-fearing and everything else. And it was a big scar. It was a big hurt in my life. And uh, I just thought, right, drink's the only way I can cope with this. Um, I then moved up to the Derbyshire countryside. Uh, It was paradise in a sense. But if you're on your own a lot of the time, you get bored. And as I got bored, the recession happened. The recession led to more boredom, more time on my own, um, and a series of seriously heavy drinking then happened. Um, seven bottles a day of wine every day to cope with it. Um, hospital admissions. Um, tried to commit suicide because I couldn't cope with it anymore. And all these things were just, just on the door of sending you over the edge. And it was because I'd gone my own way, trying to find my own way. And it wasn't enough what I was looking for. It wasn't enough. But I was hooked, line and sinker on the drink and the drugs and everything else. And that was just, I wouldn't listen to reality. I wouldn't listen to the voice of saying, I'm waiting for you. And um, my first wife then said, that's it, I can't cope with this anymore. And we're getting a divorce. So I just thought, right, that's it. What's the point of living? So I walked down to the Mersey, had my last bottle of wine I thought I was going to have, and I was going to jump in and kill myself. And um, a voice came in my head, and it just said, it's not your time yet. It's not your time. And um, I was shook by it, because it just wasn't the voices I was hearing at that time. It was a totally different voice. And after that, it was weird, because a number of events happened. One was my sister got my case big time and tried to get me to rehab. But the second thing was... Everywhere in Manchester where I was living, 
everywhere. I kept seeing these posters saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I thought, all right, okay. And then I walked down another road, I am the way, the truth, and life. And whether some Christian organization had just billboarded everything, it was in the railway station, it was in this church, and I went for this early morning church just to sort of get a free bit of um, communion wine as well as uh, saying a few prayers sort of thing. And then it was, I am the way, the truth, and life. I thought, oh, goodness. Just followed me and followed me. Probably about sort of seven times I saw it, and it just really focused and jumped out at me. Went to rehab. And that's, that's where basically six months of being in rehab, it was Christian rehab, I got to a point where I really found that God was starting to speak to me. And we have to do a thing called, a, well, it's a step four in 12 steps. But in this particular occasion, it was a sort of an accounting for your life and how you got to the rehab. And you had to pour your heart and soul, 2,500 words about how crap you are, basically. And, and what a disaster you've made of your life. And I did that, and I distinctly remember when I'd done it, and, and that was in front of about 30 people, fellow um, addicts and, and staff. But after I did it, I walked, to, I walked out and spent some time on my own, and I just felt this voice saying, the book is closed, the book is closed, it's a new story. He said, so forget that. He said, you've, you've come out with it, you've glorified my name, the book is closed, move on. So you'd think that was kind of it, but uh, no, I still had uh, things to do. So um, I needed about two and a half years of being up here in sunny Durham. Um, I needed to talk to somebody because once you've suffered from addiction, it doesn't leave you. It can hover and it tries to get back at you. And I I was looking for counselling and I couldn't find counselling at the time. And um, as a result, I relapsed and I went to a rehab in Durham. But that's where I found, again, God's had to teach me a lesson. Uh, and this one, it was about being grandiose in my recovery. It was about not trusting him totally. It was about me thinking I could take shortcuts. It was about all sorts of different sort of ways where I thought I knew better than God. And, uh, yeah, the wheels fell off, but I learned the lesson. I learned the lesson, and I realized where I'd made the mistake. Jesus wasn't in the front. It was, wasn't in control. I wasn't letting Jesus have the whole control of my life, um, submitting everything to him, not just holding on to some of it. And that was a big revelation. It was a big turning point. Uh, and that's when we started the, the rehab. Uh, sorry, not the rehab, the recovery group. And um, it's been going about two and a half years, and we've, uh, it's been really a real blessing in every way. Um, it's amazing, though, with the, with the journey we've been on now, that putting God first, the difference, it's like, I can't describe it. It basically means that you, the more I focus each day on putting God first, the better the day goes. I know it sounds stupid, but it does. The more you invest in the beginning of the day in terms of prayer, in terms of just sort of introducing God to the day, and to be part of the day with you. It's incredible. And there's just, just amazing things which happen as a result of that, which have happened in my life. Um, there was a thing recently where I talk about being in the right time or the right place, or at least what I think is God wanted you to be in a certain place at the right time, at the right place. Um, when I relapsed the second time, well, the first time I relapsed, 
I was, prior to that, I was in North Wales in a place which is very, very, very precious to me. It's, my dad's a vicar, and I say we, we travel around the country, so I find it really hard to focus on one place where that's my place, that's where I grew up, that's my uh, place of reference in terms of my life, my journey in my life. But this place was in a place on the north coast, uh, the northwest coast of North Wales called the Clean Peninsula. I was walking along that with my wife when I had realised I had lost control again and uh, I was going to drink heavily that day. And that, to me, polluted that place in my heart and my mind and everything else. It had become a place of great weakness and uh, it was like a battle I'd lost. So I felt I really needed to go back and to almost be excised by it and to, f- to be forgiven by tarnishing that memory, you know, of a beautiful place. So... I thought about it, and his voice says, go. You go, just go, just go, go, go. And I was, on, I was working in Shropshire at the time, so it meant a 180-mile detour to go to this place. I drove overnight. I got there about 6 in the morning. The sun was setting. And I walked along the beach, and I just sort of cried and um, just sort of asked God to forgive me and, you know, to, to, to make this, this, this place real and free and beautiful again. And I just had the time of my life. It was like being like a child again, you know, being there. And just this real peace, this real blessing and and a sort of um, release from God. And um, the crazy thing, this was the interesting thing which happened next. The place where we'd stayed at, this cottage, was being done up. And I thought um, the owner of it, who had been a good friend of our family, had maybe sold it. And there was a sign on the the window It said... um, died david jones the builders so he wasn't there so i rang him up and he said and i said is um, mrs ward still here and he said yes yeah, she's doing the house up she said um um but uh she uh, it's her son andrew who's going to be doing the rebuild sort of stuff like that i said can i have his number he said yeah yeah you can have his number so the next day he called me back he said, is, I'm taking this, you're the guy who called me yesterday. I said, yeah. He said, well, Mrs. Ward's died last night. And uh, I told my sister, and she said, you do realize that Mrs. Ward wanted you to meet Andrew before her death. And as a result of this, I did call Andrew that day and say, I'm um, Reverend Biddlecombe's son. Oh, Tim, I remember you. Yeah, she said, he said, my mum wanted me to meet you. And that was that, you know, like I went out of my way because, you know, it, it was just like he needed family. He hasn't got family. And, and I know we just started this real friendship and, uh, and I'm going to meet him in, in, in December. And I'm meeting him near the rehab where I went to rehab because that's where he lives. And I'm also meeting a guy who used to work for me who's in the rehab and, and it, all these things are all combining, and it's when you sort of think God's got his hand on these things, there's things so close to each other, which can't be coincidence. You find that things will happen in your life when you trust God. They're, they're things definitely happen. People say, oh, it's coincidence. That just happened, you know. It's, there's too many coincidences in my life, too many signs, too many wonders, too many answers to prayer, too many things just were there in place at the right time, in, in the right order and made a big difference. But I'll finish with, uh, as we're talking about freedom in Christ, yes, freedom in Christ from addiction is a main thing for me, but we're, I'm, I'm now doing counselling because 
as I said to when I did the, went on to the course, I said I want to be the person I needed when I was relapsing. In other words, I want to be somebody there who understands me, who gets the, the, the bit where I'm screwed up, I can't do it, and I, and I keep making mistakes. I want somebody to sort of say, I know where you're at, I know how you feel. So when we're doing this course, I don't know if anybody's familiar with counselling or whatever, you've got Maslow's theory, hierarchy of needs, and it basically sort of says that you have to have things in place and the triangle to self-actualise. Self-actualise in, in Maslow's theory was to sort of just, if everything's in the right order, you can be the perfect person, you can be the best you personally can. And uh, I was listening to this lecture thinking, yeah, well, that's all right, but... Um, I had this image of sort of Maslow's triangle, as it were, as a wall, and just walking straight through it and just seeing the Holy Spirit and saying that self-actualization, the Holy Spirit in your body, in your mind, in your thoughts, in your being, in your life, in your work, in everything, being self-actualized by the Holy Spirit, that's self-actualization. Anything we try to do to self-actualize will be just for the, um, our own ego, for our own... Um, the next thing on the list we're going to do to make ourselves feel better, the next car we're going to get, the next super wife, the next this, that and the other. It will always be an effort. It will always be a pale into insignificance, the, the, what you can have from God and the Holy Spirit. And I welcome anybody here tonight who doesn't know God, doesn't know Jesus, doesn't know Jesus in their life to you know, speak to somebody um, at the end of the service and just ask that power which can come into your life, that life-changing power which releases you from all the grief, all the rubbish, all the detritus in the world, and will help you move on. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the St. Nick's Durham podcast. If you would like to hear more sermons and teaching like this, then subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about St Nick's, visit our website at stnicks.org.uk.